0: But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever.
1: Amen. Good job. Thank you, Paula. I invite you to keep your Bible open to that passage. We're going to run through it in a minute. So a great psychiatrist said that our world is desperately sick, and the medicine that she needs is love. You see, our greatest need is to receive and to be able to give love, to have someone to love and to have someone to love them. There is a hunger in this world, in our world. There is a hunger in our churches. People are starving for love, and we can expect it to get worse. Because the Bible makes a prophecy of the last days. The Bible says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because iniquity shall abound. And that word iniquity, it means lawlessness. And we're seeing an age of lawlessness and rebellion as never before. And in this age of rising rebellion, we are seeing love losing ground. And it's so very important that we study on this Mother's Day morning, love. There's a tradition that the aged Apostle John, sometimes called the Apostle of Love, was in his twilight years and he was and he had taught the early church for many, many years, and finally they gathered around him. They said, John, we've heard you teach, and we've heard you teach, and you told us about Jesus and all about his ways and all about his commandments. John, give us something new. Give us a new commandment. And according to tradition, and yet quoted in the word of God, this aged apostle John said in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give unto you, that you would love one another. He'd been saying that all the time. They said, give us something new. And he said, okay, love one another. I think he was saying, hey, when you love, you just said it all. I mean, that's it. Just love one another. Jesus said it this way. You know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so when I think of mother, you know, I think of my mom. I think of this lady that said, I'm going to love you no matter what. I think of love. And so... I thought it would be appropriate, really, to preach on love today from the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. So let's set the stage here. Uh, The church at Corinth had some issues. You think the Methodist church has issues? The church at Corinth had some issues, like the first four chapters. Read them through. Oh, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. Oh, I'm spiritual. I follow Jesus. There was divisions in the church. In this Christian church, full of the Holy Spirit, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in operation. Do you hear where I'm coming from? And then look at uh, verses 5, or, or chapters 5 to 7. It addresses sexual sin. Someone in the church was having sex with their mother-in-law. In the church! And then chapters 8 to 10 addresses faithless freedom. Some people were abusing their freedom, you know, it's like the whole meat sacrifice to idols and they were doing it, not caring how it affected other people. So Paul says, you know what? Don't cause your brother to stumble. If eating meat or drinking wine causes your brother to stumble, don't do it. And then uh, chapters 11 to 14 addresses what I call wild worship. I mean, these people were wild. I mean, they were getting drunk at the Lord's table, the church, the church. Read it for yourself. This is the church at Corinth. And then chapter 15 addresses what I call resurrection reassurance. You know, they were not believing in a literal resurrection. Therefore, Jesus must not have raised from the dead. And Paul says, you know what? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, our preaching is useless. Your faith is useless. You're still in your sins. The apostles were a bunch of liars. And he basically was trying to correct them a little bit through his letter here to the Corinthians. Listen, two things make Christianity different from every other faith. One, we serve a risen Lord. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Muhammad is dead. But Jesus is alive. Can I hear an amen to that? Yeah, we serve a risen Savior. Praise God for that. Number two, when we receive Jesus, when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we have the love of God living in our hearts, and that makes us different from everybody else. A living Lord and a loving faith, and that's what makes us different. I want to talk about two kinds of faith today. I want to talk about a loveless faith and a loving faith. First of all, the Bible says a loveless faith is worthless. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, Paul had just read it. Now, it's interesting to note that Paul, in his discussion of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we could call them charismatic gifts, speaking in tongues, miracles, and healings, and all those things. And by the way, I'm 100% for those things, 110%. That's chapter 12 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And then Paul tucks this little poem. He inserts this little poem of love right between chapters 12 and 14, that talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And some think it's out of place. Well, folks, it was never more in place. Paul knew precisely what he was talking about because some were thinking that they were great Christians because they could perform miracles, and others were thinking that they were super supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Christians. Christians because they could speak in tongues, and they were vaunting themselves, and they were puffing themselves up. That's the way it was in Corinth. Read it. If you speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, you're like a sounding brass. You're like a tinkling cymbal. You're like a big gong that just makes a lot of noise. That's it. And so he put this discussion and description of love in a very significant place. Hey, if you want to see if somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit or not, don't see if they can work miracles. I mean, the devil can do that, counterfeit miracles, of course. Don't see if they can prophesy. And don't see whether they can speak in tongues or whether they have the gift of interpretation. If you want to know if somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit or not, see if they got some love in their heart. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And Jesus said, you're going to know them by their fruit. You see, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not marks of fullness. Love is the mark of the fullness of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit have nothing to do with spiritual maturity. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. Let me make it clear. I'm not against the gifts of the Holy Spirit at all. I'm 100% for them. So Paul addresses this very gifted but loveless church. At Corinth and he says, I don't care how gifted you are. If you don't have love, you are nothing. You are of no account. You're of no value. You're worthless. Verse 1, you may speak in tongues of men and of angels, known tongues, unknown tongues. Without love, you're nothing. That's what he means by a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. In Corinth, these pagan worshipers would bang gongs and cymbals to get the attention of their dead, dumb deity. And Paul said, without love, you're speaking in tongues is as worthless as trying to wake up a pagan God. And then Paul goes on in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries. I mean, what if I could predict the future 100%? You know, what if I said the Cubs are going to win the World Series this year? I say that every year, but what if they did? they did? You know? You know, or what if the stock market, what if I knew the stock, what the stock market was going to do? Or what if I knew where the next earthquake or hurricane was going to be, you know? And I could, I could have warned uh, people and saved thousands of lives. And the President of the United States would call me every morning and say, Hey, preacher, what's going down today? You know. After a few days of that, I could begin to feel awfully important. And look into the mirror and say to myself, I am something. And Paul says, if you know the future perfectly, perfectly, and you don't have the love of God, the Bible says, I am nothing. Then it goes on in verse 2. But what if I had all knowledge and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge? I mean, in every field of study, I I literally had all knowledge. I know there are some people who think they know it all, and they're irritating to those of us who truly do know it all, right? Amen? Amen. Yeah, but in every field of knowledge, I mean, what if I knew enough about mathematics and physics so that I could embarrass the likes of, like, Albert Einstein? Listen, and it's a cliche. It's a big cliche, but it's a true cliche. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Really. Knowledge, it just puffs up. It puffs up unless you have the Lord to keep you humble. Keep reading in verse 2, and though I have all faith and so that I can move mountains... I mean, there have been people of great faith, not only in the Bible, but in modern times. I think of George Mueller, who who cared for a thousand orphans and raised millions of dollars without asking anyone for one red cent. You may have heard about uh, the time his ship was socked in by fog, and he had a speaking engagement, and the captain wouldn't move the ship, and so Mueller prayed that God would move the fog, and he did instantly, completely. Mueller had a mountain-moving faith. But if I have the faith of the prophet Elijah, if I had the faith of the apostle Paul or George Mueller, if I have mountain-moving faith but have no love, the Bible says I am nothing. And then verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, And surrender my body to the flames. Think about that. I mean, if I had so much money that it would make the combined fortunes of billionaires, you know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Sam Walton's kids look like chump change. And I gave every penny of it to the poor and then gave my body over to be burned, but did it without love. God would reject all the ashes, believe me. And Paul says, if I give all I have, even to the giving of myself and don't have love, I gain nothing. And the bottom line is this, it doesn't matter how gifted I am, it, you know, without love, I'm nothing. I have nothing. I gain nothing. In short, you can preach like Billy Graham. You can have faith to move mountains. You can, you know, give everything away to the poor or go on a hundred mission trips and get straight A's in school. But if you ain't got love, you ain't got nothing according to this scripture. Listen, the only motivation for Christian work and witness should be love. When we seek the highest good of another person, everything else is worthless. In fact, if the love of God is not evident in us, in our homes, you know, in our churches, in our work relationships, then we might as well not even name the name of Christ. Why? Because love is the essence of who God is. I know God is holy, holy, holy. But it does say God is love. In fact, the Apostle John came, came right and, and said it. God is love. First John 4, 19 to 21 says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, He is a liar, for anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So loveless faith, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, is worthless. That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. But on the other hand, loving faith is winsome. Loving faith is winsome. And this is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. So, the Apostle Paul gives us this full-length portrait of God's kind of love, which in the Greek language is the word agape. There's a lot of words for love in the Greek language, like eros and paleo and storge. But agape love is God's love. And there are actually 14 different colors that make up Paul's palette as he paints This picture and portrait of God's love. And these are the characteristics that should mark the life of every believer. A life of love. Four to eight. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to pare them down to ten. And I'm going to be brief. And you probably said, yeah, I've heard that before. No, I will be. Um, First of all, agape love is steadfast. That's uh, verse four. It says love is patient. The King James Version says love suffers long. God says, you know, if you have my love, you're going to be patient. Are you a patient person? A man spoke frantically into the phone. My wife is pregnant and her contractions are only two minutes apart. Is this her first child? The doctor asked. No, you idiot. The man yelled. This is her husband. little impatient there. Are you patient when people, when you're pressed... Are you patient with the people you go to school with? Are you patient with your children? Are you patient with your spouse? Are you patient with your family? If you are an impatient person, if you are quick to lose your temper, if you are quick to give up on people, then you don't love with God's kind of love because because love is patient. And love suffers long. And the Bible says of Jesus in John 13, verse 1, that having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. Do you know what was going on there? In John chapter 13, the disciples, they were arguing. They were whining about who was the greatest, and he put up with them. He served them by washing their feet. He was patient with them. True love is patient. Agape love is steadfast love. Also, agape love is a serving love. That's in verse 4 as well. It says love is kind. What is kindness? Kindness is serving one another. Kindness is love in action. It's the ability to love other people who do not deserve to be loved. People who deserve love the least need it the most. See, if you love someone, you won't give them what they deserve. You will give them what they need. And Jesus said, love your enemies, didn't he? Didn't he? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for them to despitefully use you. What are you to do? You are to do good. You are to speak well. You are to pray hard. That is... That is, you are to show them some kindness. That's serving love. Kindness is a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can actually see. Also, agape love is sincere. That's also in verse 4. It says love doesn't envy. You know, if you're envious of another, another person, it's because you don't love the person that you envy. And if I envy you, it's because you have something that I want and don't have. And if I want it, I don't rejoice that you have it. And if I don't rejoice that you have it, it's because I don't sincerely love you. And if I cringe when you are praised, if I feel that your gain is my loss, then I do not sincerely love you. True love is sincere love. It rejoices when another person is blessed. It's not envious. Also, agape love is self-effacing love. It's also in verse 4. It says it does not boast. It's not proud. Love doesn't put itself on parade. True love enables you to be humble. See, if I love you, I can't look down on you and rejoice that I got more than you. And you can't love someone, you can't love anyone and look down on them at the same time because true love is a self-effacing love. Self-promoting pride and agape love cannot walk hand in hand. You cannot be big-headed and big-hearted at the same time. True love, it's a self-effacing love. And and also, agape love is a self-restraining love. Verse 5, it's not rude. The King James Version says, it doth not behave itself unseemly. (laughs) It's not rude. Do you know what that means? True love enables you to be courteous, you know, demonstrate some good manners. Love is not rude, but this is kind of the rude generation. Have you ever been around rude people? Don't look at your neighbor. Look right at me, okay? You know, they elbow their way in. They don't want to wait in line. They don't know how to say please. They don't know how to say thank you. Since when has it become out of style to be mannerly? When has it become out of style to speak graciously and to speak respectfully? It's still in order to pull the chair out for your wife before she sits down, not as she sits down. It's still, open to, it's still okay to open the car door for her, even if you've been married uh, after 20 years, right? It's still important for you to open the car door. And I think all the ladies should say amen to that, right? Usually when you see a middle-aged man open the door for his wife, uh, one of two things is new, either... The wife or the car. And that's a shame, isn't it, ladies? You know what courtesy is? It's just love in the little things. And a person who doesn't love in the little things probably doesn't love in the big things. See, love is not rude. Also, agape love is self denying love. It's not self seeking, it's not selfish, it, it doesn't say me first. True love is self denying love, it doesn't, doesn't serve itself. You know, I heard of a story. During the Holocaust, a Polish Jewish mother, uh, hearing the oncoming tanks of the Nazis coming, ran into the woods with her three kids. She stayed there for weeks, living on roots and whatever else they could find. And one morning, they were discovered by a Polish farmer who saw that they were just starving to death. And so he demanded that they come out of the woods, and he sent his son uh, to get a loaf of bread. And when he handed the bread to the mother, she ripped it into three parts and placed them in the trembling hands of her three hungry children. Seeing this, the son said to his father, she kept none for herself because she's not hungry. And the father replied, she kept none for herself because she's a mother. She's a mother. She will die to see her children live. You know, I didn't bring it up, uh, but I have a pelican in my office. I bought it at Pelican Rapids. It's just a wooden carving, but I bought it because one of the ancient symbols of Christ uh, in the early church and throughout the centuries has been a pelican. Did you know that? I didn't know until I was in Aberdeen. They had built an addition on the church down there, and they had covered up these stained glass windows, and we were doing something in the library, and we uncovered the stained glass window, and it was a round window, and it was a pelican, and it had three drops of blood on its And I looked it up, and here a pelican has been a symbol for Christ because of the sacrifice that a mother pelican would make to her little pelicans. She'd take meat off her own breast and give it to her little ones. Love is not self-seeking. It is self-denying, like the Lord Jesus, who always thought of others before he thought of himself. How are you doing so far? You know? Also, agape love is a serene love. It says it's not easily angered. Actually, the word easily is not in the original. Love is not provoked. It's not irritable. Love is not touchy. Love is not quick to take an offense. Do you know anybody who is like a shotgun with a hair trigger? I mean, just rub them the wrong way and boom, they just blow you up. They blow you away and they say, well, I didn't really mean anything. I just have a hot temper, but there's all these dead people lying around them. Maybe you're like that. Do you know why you explode the way you do? There's not enough of the love of Jesus there to hold you back from firing off. And if you want to know what you're full of, just see what spills out of you when you're knocked around and jostled a little bit. And the one blot on an otherwise wonderful Christian character is often a quick temper. But true love, it's a serene love. It's not easily angered. Also, agape love is a sacrificial love. It's also in verse 5, it keeps no record of wrongs. Easy to say, isn't it? Keeps no record of wrongs. It's not a collector of grudges. Two guys were talking about their wives, and one said, well, when, when we fight, my, my wife gets all historical. And the other guy said, don't you mean hysterical? First guy said, no, she gets Historical. She recalls everything I ever done that she thinks is wrong. Well, true love doesn't get historical. True love is able to forgive. And I tell you, that costs. I mean, there can be no forgiveness without somebody paying a price. I mean, it costs to forgive. I mean, if you owe me 10 bucks and I forgive it, that costs me 10 bucks. Right? To forgive that, 10 bucks. Somebody has to sacrifice and pay the price. But so many of us are, we're bookkeepers. And we keep a record of the wrongs against us. But true love is sacrificial love, and it costs to forgive and to wipe the slate clean. Sacrificial love. Also, agape love is a sympathetic love. It doesn't delight in evil. How is that sympathetic love? Because when somebody is in sin, when somebody falls, when somebody does wrong, you don't rejoice. You weep. Do you know what the sin of the gossip is? Basically, the gossiper rejoices in evil. When they hear something bad, they can't wait to tell it. They're like the woman who said, "You know, my motto is, "Never say anything unless it's good." and girl is, it's good." right?" Now, this doesn't mean that we overlook sin. Absolutely not. It simply means that we do not rejoice in it. True love is a sympathetic love. And then last, agape love, it's a stubborn love. And this is the kind of love my mom had. Very stubborn. It always perseveres. True love keeps on keeping on. It never quits. I told my wife that if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. It's a stubborn love. And that's why we need to take divorce out of our vocabulary. Yes, we realize that there's adultery. There's abandonment. There's abuse. But the ideal is found in Jesus' words. Therefore, what God has brought together, let no man put asunder. Let no man separate. Sometimes we throw in the towel too quickly. Sometimes we give up too easily. But remember the story of the prophet Hosea. Remember you read Hosea and his wife Gomer? She committed adultery again and again and again as a temple prostitute. And then finally things were so bad that she was about to be sold as a slave. And Hosea stepped in and he bought her. And then he brought her back into his home as his wife. That is stubborn love. That is the way God loves us. That's the way God forgives us. He takes us back. He doesn't give up and that's why C.S. Lewis called Jesus the Hound of Heaven, who chases after us, not to punish us for what we've done, but to save us from what we've done. He pursues us relentlessly. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, and love never fails. And so when you look at this full length portrait of love that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, It is a picture of Jesus, is it not? You cannot help but say that that is a description of Jesus Christ. I mean, you could substitute the name Jesus everywhere the word love is, and it works so well. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. I mean, you can just run the whole list, and what you have is a full-length portrait of the personality and the character and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So question As you look at this portrait of love in 1 Corinthians 13, are these qualities present in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in this church? Listen, if Jesus is the source of love, and the Bible says God is love, then these qualities will become a reality in our lives to the extent. That we are bound to Christ to the extent that we pursue a warm, intimate, personal, passionate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to love like that. You cannot love like this without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit living in you. And this is love. This is agape love. This is a love worth finding. This is a love that will change your life and change the world. Paul said in Ephesians 3.18, that my overwhelming desire for you is that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, depth, height, and, uh, and height of, of God's love, a love that surpasses all understanding. I read about uh, a time of intense persecution in the Middle Ages. A man was jailed for his faith in Spain, and he had carved the shape of a cross in the stone floor of his cell. And at the left hand of that cross near the place where the bruised and bleeding heart of Jesus would have been, he scratched out the the word breath. And over at the right hand, the hand that was pierced, he wrote length. And then down at his nail-pierced feet, he etched depth. And above the thorn-crowned head, he had written height. The cross gives us the dimensions, really, of the love of Christ. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my life, my love, and my all. Let's pray. God, you're the you're the God of love and holiness. You love the world so much you gave us your one and only son and God, we want to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength and we want to love each other with your kind of love. God, let our churches become loving churches. Teach us how to love those who are lost those who are trapped in destructive lifestyles, those who oppose us. Teach us how to love our enemies when we don't have it in us, God. Grace us with it anyway. Let us love so that the world may see it and be drawn to the Savior who is the source of it. And it's in his name that we pray. And I just wanted to just Restate before we uh, take this offering, we're going to sing this, you know, how deep the Father's love. And, you know, we can't do this. You know, you can preach a, a, like a morality sermon, but, you know, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without Jesus, you cannot love this way. He needs to live and to love through us. And there needs to become a point in our lives where we just give up and we say, you know what, I am sorry, God. You know, I I haven't loved you with all my heart, soul, and strength. I don't love my neighbor as myself. I've transgressed your law. I've blown it. I'm a sinner. That's why I need you and what you've done for me on the cross. And then it needs to come a place where we just say, thank you, God. You made a way for me. You love the world so much that you gave us your one and only son and that Jesus lived the life that we can't live. And he died the death that that we cannot die. Thank you that he is the son of God. He is who he claimed to be. He rose from the dead. And then eventually we have to ask him, you know, to as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. We need to ask him. He's knocking at our heart's door. Ask him to forgive us. You know, turn from our ways, our our evil ways, our our idol-worshiping ways, our ways without God, and turn back to Christ, turn back to God. And our whole life would be an act of, of worship and offering. And so when we take this offering today, it's not just about let's get the money and then go home. No. It's an act of worship. It's a symbol of our love to Him because He first loved us. So God, we thank You for an opportunity to worship You through giving. Lord, we love You because You first loved us. We give only because You first gave to us. And Lord, I pray that hearts would just swing wide open today and before people go home and celebrate Mother's Day and be with family and friends, Lord, that they would want to get things right with you if they're not sure if you are in their lives. So Lord, I pray this in your name and for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. God, I pray that we would leave here with our mouths wide open just to to know how much you really love us and how you care about us. Lord, we pray again, Lord, that you would pour out your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Because we leak. We need to be filled. And we want to be filled in such a way that we'll splash over into other people. So, God, as we leave here, full of your love, full of your grace, full of your mercy, show us ways to share your love and the gospel with others. The gospel of your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.